Oh, the Jetsons. I remember watching that as a kid thinking, wow, won't it be amazing when we have flying cars and TV phones and all that stuff. I'm actually trying to remember exactly when the Jetsons was set. Uh, what, uh, I can look that up. There we go. <laughs> what year was the Jetsons supposed to be? 2062. So we're not there yet. We're still 40 years away. But it certainly gave you a glimpse into the future, didn't it? It gave you the glimpse into what it could be like. We sort of had this idea that you know, this digital age that was upon us was going to be this incredible thing, right? This, you know, so whether it was Star Trek, Star Wars, the Jetsons, there were so many examples of brave new worlds where tech was going to be the gateway to this very different kind of life. And in many ways it has. It's, it's just incredible to think about what's even happened in this century. Um, from 3D printers to smartphones, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. The things that make our lives different now than they were even in the mid-90s is is remarkable when you think about it um but the sort of the head heady days of the pandemic when we we're all under lockdown uh we had a very very rapid glimpse or at least an acceleration of what it would be like to live in a much more digitally prevalent world um you know it's true we have access to everything at the touch of the sc- touch of the screen really it, the world is literally at our fingertips now it's remarkable to think about what it was like if you first used the internet in the 80s for, or the late 80s, early 90s, for instance, mid-90s. What it's like now, what your phone can do is almost unfathomable. You'd, you'd have a hard time explaining your, your mobile phone or your smartphone to someone if they popped in here from 1995. You just would. Um, but that all went into hyperspeed during the pandemic. You know, work from home, socialize at home, shop at home. The list goes on and on and on. You remember movies where people would sort of sit in their chairs and, you know, sort of immersed in virtual reality forever and ever and ever. There was a Bruce Willis movie. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, and that sort of seemed like w- that's what our future could be like. In, in some ways, it was both awful and in some ways it was utopian, depending on how you looked at it. Uh, but it didn't take us long to realize under those extreme circumstances that maybe spending your entire life sort of with everything at your fingertips, but not really being involved in it yourself wasn't really so pleasant. At least it wasn't entirely pleasant. I think we started to remember what the joys of life were like away from our connected world. And that brings me to our next guest. David Sachs is a journalist. He's also the author of 2016's The Revenge of Analog, Why Real Things Matter. So you can see a theme developing here. Well, he went back to that theme. He took it one step further in a new book called The Futures Analog, How to Create a More Human World. And in it, he looks at whether or not not our digital future is inevitable. Google mapped out for us, if you'll pardon the pun. Or can we do away with some of the downsides of what we're experiencing while still adapting to the upsides of technology? Because there are many. In fact, I was asking you earlier uh, what you thought the greatest invention of the 21st century was so far. What's that one device that you thought that came along that really was far, far more good than bad? Let me know, 877-399-9898 is the text line, 877-399-9898. It can be anything. It can be anything. I mean, streaming changed things so fundamentally. You know, the ability to stream stuff. Um, social media has been both a curse, but also an incredible blessing when it comes to being able to find out what's going on around the world in a matter of moments at your, in the palm of your hand. It's remarkable. Um, so sure, sure, you know, developments are great. The metaverse, great. But how about the very real universe around us? Yes to gadgets and screens, but also yes to get-togethers and socializing. Perhaps, he argues, the future is more analog, quote-unquote, 
than we had once believed. And joining me now is David Sachs, author of The Future is Analog, How to Create a More Human World. Thanks for your time. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. This is an interesting um, an interesting theory because you're right. For so long, we kind of felt that technology was moving at a sort of unshakable pace forward. And then all of a sudden during the pandemic, we got a real idea of what that might look like. <laughs> uh, how did you come up with the idea? I know this isn't something that happened in 2020, but where did you get the inspiration for the idea that somehow the digital, our digital advance maybe wasn't as utopian as we may have hoped? Yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. I wrote a, another book about analog a couple of years ago in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, and that really looked at why we were seeing things like vinyl records and film cameras and bookstores coming back when everyone had predicted they were they were inevitably going to go away, and they have kept growing since then. And I kept hearing this phrase, well, the future is digital, obviously. It's inevitable the future is digital. We're living in a digital world. And I just kept questioning it. You know, what do you mean by that? Why would you say that? What, what evidence you have that the world is digital? The world is a planet. We're, we're, we're animals on it. And then I think really the pandemic kind of brought all of that to the fore because everyone everywhere, you know, was, was, was sort of stuck inside and had to live their lives, work, school, entertainment, conversations, family reunions, religious festivals through digital technology, through a screen. Right. And I think that, immersion in you know what was kind of a preview of this digital future that was sort of predicted and promised really showed us the limits of that very quickly and it, it, to me it highlighted the that central truth that that you know fundamentally at the end of the day we humans are analog beings creatures animals and we we realize the value of what those analog non-digital spaces relationships interactions are, which are the very things that during COVID we couldn't do and we craved for more than anything. Uh, and when you when you look at that, I mean, you, you speak very poignantly about the heart and the head, right? When it comes to why we embrace things, why we continue to embrace things that may seem like they should be obsolete by now. For instance, you often point out that we, that paper's made has, is still with us. In fact, may be with us in a in a way that it wasn't in the past. Even though we have so many, you know, of e readers and so forth, but we have uh, we still cling to books. And it, and you point out it's not just sort of people my age, or like in our fifties. It's not people being nostalgic. It's it's young people too. Yeah, you know, my kids who are nine and six love books. They've never read an ebook in their life. They love getting a tablet in their hands and playing games, but they love reading books. And I think that the, the, the data shows, I mean, in the publishing industry, you know, nine out of 10 books sold are in paper, right? And, and we've had the Kindle for well over 10 years and eBooks that have been pretty much perfect in that time, technologically speaking, they're lighter, they're cheaper, they're, you know, you can buy a book in, in, in two taps of a finger, it's backlit, uh, it doesn't weigh anything when you go on vacation. And yet people prefer paper. Why? Because they have physical needs, they like to touch things. They like to hold things. You know, when, when people are given surveys about why it is that they prefer reading in paper, they say, it's the feel, it's the smell, right? It's not a logical reason, but we're not perfectly logical creatures. We're not computers. And I think we kind of forgot that. We rushed into using hardware and software. But what happened when that was all we had is that we were mostly miserable. I mean, when people think back to those days of lockdown where they were shopping online, they were working online, their kids were going to school online, everything was being done through the screen. There's very, very few people who refer to those as happy times, 
right? At first, there was this sort of novelty of like, hey, look at me. I'm doing an exercise class in my living room. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, just get me outside. I need to go for a walk. I want to go into a grocery store and squeeze an avocado. You know, please, God, put my children back in school. Uh, you know, and, and people waxing nostalgic about things like, office chit chat <laughs> and sitting at a cubicle uh, shows that there is this deeper value that we didn't even really think about or see for the analog world. One of the things I found out not too long ago, having a similar conversation was that one thing that we weren't able to replicate online was small talk. And one of those sort of innocuous things we'd never really thought about too deeply turned out to be something that we couldn't replicate without the environment being as it once was. And it was one of those things, as you point out, that was greatly missed in that new digital world that we weren't able to communicate in that way anymore. We struggled online to, to, to conduct small talk, which it turns out is a pretty important part of our social interactions. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the three scariest words in the English language in the past five years. Zoom cocktail party. The worst. Right? The, the, worst. the absolute just nails on chalkboard experience. <laughs> the epitome of a waste of time. And what is a cocktail party? It's small talk with alcohol, right? And yet there's something about that that leads to interesting, surprising conversations and ideas and new relationships and changed relationships that is kind of what makes a cocktail party what it is. And we took the best technology we had and we did our best to curate them and, you know, games and groups and other things. And people cracked their drinks open and it just was the most awkward and awful thing. And I think 90% of people who went to one were like, well, never doing that again. Thank no. you very much. Yeah, it was funny to turn them on and then have half the people, you know, a, a certain proportion of the people leave their cameras off, which kind of defeated the whole. Yeah, the whole like there's no, there's no leaving your camera off at a cocktail party. You can leave the party, but you can't like go hide in a closet. You need to be present. You need to take risks. You need to be able to read body language. Now, the thing is at a cocktail party, if you want to be quiet, you can sit there and you can nod along and drink your drink and, and, and participate in the conversation without really even saying too many words. And that's fully engaged and you're there and you're sort of part of stuff. But the way that digital technology works, it's very binary. It doesn't allow for a lot of subtlety. And that subtlety is, you know, what we completely forgot is, is the way that we humans have evolved to communicate over hundreds of thousands of years, which is our greatest strength as a species, right? We're not the strongest animal. We're not the fastest animal. We're not, um, I don't know, an animal that can wow. swim through water we very well. We can't fly. We can't swim too well. We, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. But, you know, aside from our brains that are able to build things, it's it's our social ability to communicate with one another and and do it in all sorts of complex and different ways that has actually allowed us to build civilization. Uh, and that just is limited through digital technology. And so this promise that, oh, well, the future of communication is going to be digital. I mean, what Mark Zuckerberg is peddling with Meta and Facebook and saying, the future of human connection is going to be holograms. Ben, you and I in the future are going to be doing this interview, but you'll be a hologram and I'll be a hologram. And you can see my facial expressions and I can see yours. It'll be just like being there, yeah. but it won't. No, it'll, it'll be, be just it'll be like... like yeah. Maybe closer, maybe a little better than just audio conversation, but probably not. David Sachs, author of The Future's Analog, is with us this half hour, uh, How to Create a More Human World. We've been talking about how we got here, which is sort of a pushback against the consistent evolution of digital. We really do have the world at our fingertips now 
on our phones, in our screens, and so forth. Uh, but for a lot of us, it hasn't been quite as um, fulfilling as we might have hoped. Uh, you talked about the heart and the head, and that was an interesting one because you talked about you know, sort of the illogical nature of continuing to collect, say, vinyl or books, considering now you could have them in, you know, condensed form and one, you know, just on your phone, but you continue to buy them because you like to have them and that there is a certain uh, illogicalness to all of this. Yeah, I, I think many in the technology world are very logical. Uh, many people who are designing and building and selling this stuff and and they see, they equate human beings to sort of logical problems that need logical solutions. You know, many of these people are, let's just call them nerds. And so there's a good Star Trek analogy, right? They, they, they see us as kind of these higher, higher being Vulcans who think logically, but we're not Vulcans. We're not, we're not Spock. We're, we're Kirk, right? We're Captain Kirk. We're the rash, emotional, vain, <laughs> you know, William Shatner character um, who's falling in love with every sexy alien that comes along <laughs> and all the trouble that comes with it. And I think we forget that. We forget that because we we love this idea of certainty and a logical process is kind of rooted in this notion of certainty. And certainty is what digital technology is promising us. You know, this is going to be this much cheaper and it's going to grow by this much. You'll be this much more efficient and therefore it's going to be better. But the human world, our society, our lives are not bound up in notions of efficiency. Efficiency is not what makes us happy. It, it, it can make our lives easier or better in certain circumstances. But the things that are the, the greatest inefficiencies are where we get our greatest ideas, our best creativity, our most identity, our most meaning, our most joy. And I think that that notion of inefficiency is a very human thing that we need to embrace as a core part of what our future is. Um, not everything needs to be efficient. Not everything needs to be optimized. And when we lean too much in that direction, we we find ourselves burned out and unhappy and and really unfulfilled. One of the things that I always remarked upon when I went from, you know, buying vinyl to buying cassettes to buying CDs to, you know, Spotify or buying books is that when you go out and make the commitment to purchase something, there's a story behind it. So you could look at your bookshelf, and I'm sure you could probably remember where you bought 90% of them, at least. Records, too. You might remember even the place you were when you picked it up and looked at it and thought, maybe I'll try this one out. I find with digital, you lose that commitment. And part of that issue means you don't have the story behind some of the things that you that you own or collect or like. And that kind of changes your relationship with it. Oftentimes, now I read books and forget what the, forget what the title was because I don't have a story behind it anymore. Or you don't have the physical cover of the book that you're looking mm -hmm. at, right? Well, when you get too, it yeah. on a Kindle or a Kobo or whatever it is, you you know the first page it's giving you is the first page, um, and you don't have that sitting on your shelf. And you walk by it each day and you sort of see it. Considering you looked at this first pre-pandemic, and now that we've gone through those early days of the pandemic, the lockdowns and so on, do you get the sense that maybe because of it we've reached a point where we will reimagine our relationship with the digital age a little bit. And again, you know, the future is analog. The future is probably digital too. Uh, but maybe we are better able to see that balance, at least for the, in the near term. I think so. I, I think what we're seeing now is the beginning of critical thinking around this notion of the inevitability of digital. The, the hard evidence is in, you know, the very companies that were called the pandemic darlings, Amazon, Shopify, 
Netflix and other streaming services, Peloton, you know, all the delivery apps whose stock prices and sales went through the roof in, you know, the the second and third quarter of 2020. And it was predicted that this was the new normal, Zoom, right? There was no going back. Everybody was sort of moving in this direction. All work would continue to be remote even more so. Everyone who had been, you know, buying groceries online, they weren't going back to to a you know, to a, to a no frills to go bag their things themselves. Uh, this was sort of the inevitable way. Everyone would just be sitting at home, eating their takeout, you know, riding their Peloton bikes and going on Zoom calls. And, and what have we seen since then? We've seen people moving with their feet and their bodies back into the real world, into all these places and spaces that were sort of consigned to the dustbin of history. And the stock prices of all of these companies are way, way down because their sales have have not only retreated back to where they were at the beginning of the pandemic, but even behind that. I mean, Zoom is like just keeps losing paid users because people are like, okay, I'll use it for a bit, but you know, there's a I need to go to meetings, I need to go to the office, I can't do this for everything, right? And and even Amazon is laying off, you know, tens of thousands of warehouse workers here in Canada, not because retail sales are down um, uh, overall in the economy. Other, you know, stores aren't laying off people. Um, it's 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 that that demand for e-commerce had a limit. People only wanted to buy so much online. They still wanted to go to a store and, and squeeze avocados or, you know, flip through the bins of records or try on a pair of jeans before buying them. David Sachs, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben.